Welcome to Truth and Fiction. This week, uh, Steve and I are here talking about a classic American novel of Mice and Men by Steinbeck. All right. Um, Steve, you want to lay out a quick plot summary, or, or shall I? Then you can go for that. Uh, that uh, you poem. can throw, go ahead and uh, give him a little plot summary, if you would, and then I'll mention the poem that uh, influences this novel a great deal. So, uh, so this story is n- not a long one. It's, uh, by listening, it's about three hours. By reading, that may vary, but it's uh, almost a, a novella, and it, and it starts out with these two characters, George and Lenny, who are on the road, heading out from their past job. George is pretty upset with Lenny because they had uh, had to run for their lives because Lenny, um, he's kind of clumsy and not real sharp and got him into some, some trouble uh, by being a bit too aggressive with a lady on accident. He's just a big, strong guy. He doesn't know his own strength. And anyway, they, they end up pulling up at this new ranch. They get jobs. Um, and they find out pretty quickly that the, the owner's son of this ranch is quite the unsavory character and is a bone to pick with anyone big. He's kind of a Napoleon. He's got a little Napoleon complex, and he's a boxer. And, and then uh, immediately they know trouble is up. And as this the boss's son's wife comes out and is always poking in on the guys looking for trouble. And sure enough, trouble finds Lenny, as it seems to often do. And he uh, accidentally kills her and ends up having to run for his life. And George mercifully kills Lenny. And, uh, and then there ends the story. It's kind of a downer. It does sound like a little bit of a downer. Especially when you phrase it like that. <laughs> yeah, it does. It sounds like, you know, but there are some uh, great commentaries on human nature. There are some definite truths within this fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that uh, is woven throughout the story is this idea of a dream, and we'll talk about that throughout. But uh, there is a there's a dream that George and Lenny have, these two guys traveling together, that they will someday... At some point in their lives, they will have their own place, and Lenny will get to tend the rabbits and feed them alfalfa, and they'll be able to come and go as they please, and it's this dream that is told to Lenny all the time by George. He asks him frequently, tell me about, tell me again about the place, tell me about the place, and it is this sort of dream um, that really keeps the guys going uh, a little bit. So I want to talk about, I mentioned that dream because... The, the title of the novel comes from a poem, a Scottish poem by a poet named Robert Burns um, that it, it's, it's loosely translated to say of my, uh, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Um, the literal uh, line is the best laid schemes of mice and men gang after glee, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> just means that they don't go right. So this idea... Um, if you knew the poem and you had this as a frame of reference, you would know that this dream that George and Lenny have is likely not going to get realized. Um, but the uh, but I, I want to take a look at the the, the poem. What, the, where that what, what happens in the poem is very simple. Is a farmer's out plowing his field and he's all of a sudden. In fact, the the subtitle of the poem is to a mouse, and the subtitle is. Um, on turning her up in her nest with the plow, November 1785. So he's out farming and he's with his plow and all of a sudden this mouse goes flying. Um, And he's like, oh man, shoot, I just turned up this mouse. And he starts to think about how that mouse spent 
months and months and months just felt that winter was coming along and used its natural instinct to begin building a, a nest to keep itself safe in the winter and worked m- most likely very very hard for a long long time to have this uh to have this nest where he was just gonna spend the rest of the winter it was going to be down and hunker be okay. down and just be okay um and then here comes this guy out of nowhere and boy the best laid plans uh but the part that is interesting about the poem is that he says you know what this what's really nice about you though little mouse is that you're actually much luckier than me as a human being because you only see the present as soon as i flung you out of your little um little um, nest there you begin immediately to just build a new one. Whereas a human being is always looking ahead and always looking back. And the last part of the poem says, um, that's, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it more in English than it is in Scottish. Still thou art blessed compared with me. The present only toucheth thee, but ouch, I backward cast my eye on prospects drear and forward though i cannot see i guess and fear so the if you're only touched by the present that's actually quite a blessing and we think about how we are we are we have the faculties as human beings to look ahead and dream and and plan but we also have the ability to look back and realize how you know what we've done to get to where we are or how the you know so um it's a it's a double-sided coin there like there's there's a blessing and a curse to that there yeah it reminds me um actually of the 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 story in genesis where um it's actually so it's it's the um story of cain and abel Mm -hmm. where which is kind of like the first recorded sacrifice where this this idea of a human's ability to to intentionally give up something that they know will be valuable in the future for the sake of hoping for a better return like it's this it's sort of like the it's the idea of a sacrificing to the gods. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm giving up something with this hope on some idea of some potential future that may or may not come into existence. Mm-hmm. And so there's pain that you you accept an increase of pain in mm-hmm. the moment, mm-hmm. hoping that it's going to be better off in the end. And it's just not always mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. Um, like when and that's the idea of Cain and Abel is that Cain's sacrifice is considered not worthy. They don't really specify why. And Abel's sacrifice is considered worthy, in which case so that you know sort of implies that things got better for Abel, but they didn't get better for Cain, uh-huh. despite the sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, when you, strong parallels there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and when you play it into the that story of, of mice, like the mice, he's not really sacrificing. He's just in the moment. He's just doing what mm-hmm. seems right in the moment. And that's that's good enough. And yet, people, we have this this tendency to sacrifice. And ultimately, we know like that's that's our edge over over animal kingdom. Like our edge is in that we can look forward and hope for something better. Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. give up, you know, earnings now and save so that we're taken mm-hmm. care of into the future. Like mm-hmm. that's the whole idea of work is I can labor now right. and have money which I can use later. Right. And that's that's how we progress. I mean, that's how right. all society progresses as a whole. Is mm-hmm. Millions of people willing to do that, hoping for a better future for their kids. But at the same time, those plans right. don't always work right. out. And when that hope, that? yeah, when that hope is not realized, what Ugh. do you do with that? I mean, we and we're dealing painful. with you know, we think about the stock market crash, yep. you know, and things like that. Where you know these were things that were I, w- I was planning ahead, I was saving, I was doing everything right, I was using my foresight. Um, and the poem even says foresight may be in vain. <laughs> right. Know, the, the, it's like uh, because things will happen, and uh, yeah. I think it's how we 
how we respond to those setbacks. Definitely. Um, like that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. Right, what do you our, do with that? Right. That's where our real humanity comes in. What, what are you going to do now? Are you yeah. going to just get back to work like the mouse did presumably, or is this going to break you? <laughs> right. Or, you know, do you basically in that story, do you, do you become a cane or do you become an able? There you go. You know, Cain, yeah. Cain got vengeful and bitter and he turns on his brother and kills, kills his ideal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead. Actually, shoot. I mean, that's kind of what George does too. <laughs> like it's yeah. not really funny, but it's, it's yeah. like here he, his ideal in many ways was this dream he had with Lenny uh-huh. and, and Lenny's ability to stay in the moment and work hard and mm-hmm. wait. And, and you know, it, the earnings weren't important to Lenny. He, he, he was staying back at the, at the ranch when all the guys went off to town to uh-huh. spend a little bit of their dough. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't care for that. He, he had his mind set on the future, but, right. but George couldn't <laughs> and didn't, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's um. So there's a lot happening here in this really you know, small little novella. So we can talk a little bit about one of the main themes that emerges, and we'll talk about characters a little bit. Um, Josiah and I both agreed that this mm. is definitely a novel that just really has some sharp echoes of loneliness. Yep. And I want to kind of differentiate between loneliness and and being alone. Um, because someone can be with somebody and be and feel lonely. Right, isolation. Uh, they might not be alone, so that you might know someone, or hopefully not yourself, but you're maybe in a relationship where you might as well be alone. You don't feel any kind of connection with the person that you're with, or you know. So, so you can be alone, uh, or you, you can be lonely. I'm sorry, and not be alone. Right. Um, yeah. So there's a. But there, there are so many characters in this novel that struggle with this idea of loneliness that, that don't have anybody with them. So George and Lenny notwithstanding, we can look at um, the character of Candy, who's one of the ranch hands there, mm-hmm. who is, is a, a very lonely person who has this old dog that's with him as his only companion. And it's just really the thing that really keeps him going. You know, this idea that he's not alone because he has this old dog with him. And even though this dog is just ratty and old and smelly and everyone thinks it's a, it's disgusting and we should just get rid of that dog. Um, but he's incredibly lonely. Um, I think candy is, even though he's not necessarily alone. Yeah. And, and it, maybe it says something to, about that loneliness that he's the first one to be drawn into their, their plans, their ideas. Right, right. And maybe he's a little more susceptible to that, to that dream, more, more open to the dream, mm-hmm. uh, and the hope that he might have a couple of companions to, to live out his old life with. Cause isn't right. it, correct me if I'm wrong, but Candy was, isn't kind of an old, somewhat disabled, not particularly useful guy. Yeah. He's definitely disabled. I mean, he's lost his hand, which, you know, in this, in this kind of work that he does, he's able to swamp out the bunkhouse, you know, which sort of mop it out and keep it sort of semi clean. That's sort of his job. It's kind of a, uh, you know, here, let's throw him a bone a little bit, you know, like give him something to do around here. Uh, but he's less than a a full man, I guess you could say compared to these guys. Um, so, you know, and I think that affects his loneliness, too. He's not part of the, the group. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't play horseshoes. He doesn't go to town. He doesn't work in the same kind of work that they do. Well, it's worth, it's worth mentioning now that this, this story, in a lot of ways, is, is a man's story about men. Uh, and it, there's certain dynamics here that are kind of hard to, hard to make sense of uh, without, without a, a real male perspective. And 
one of the things that plays out here with Candy and his his particular acute sense of loneliness, like you're saying, I think really does come from the fact that he's not as productive as he feels like he should, mm-hmm. especially in comparison to the other guys. Right, right. I mean, having worked on a lot of different physical labor crews, but uh, most any job, there's there's a little bit, especially among men, there's a little bit of a sense of competition of mm-hmm. sure like of, of feeling like the need to be as productive as the next guy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and there's there's no worse employee than the one who doesn't care <laughs> right <laughs> like who right. will be lazy and will compete to do the least amount of work yeah but yeah. in in my experience most of the guys who are out there working on any given job site are generally trying to at least look like they're working as hard as anyone else right and there will naturally be a hierarchy. It, it automatically plays out that everyone out there knows who's the best worker. Everyone mm-hmm. out there knows who does the best job at any given task. Um, and and there's a fairly natural deference to one another. Yeah. But it is really hard on the psyche to be the low guy on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. And yeah. To yeah. Only have one hand. To mm-hmm. have your dog as your friend. To feel like a liability in a place like he he knows. Like it, it is, it's gracious that he has work to do to mm-hmm. earn his keep and, yeah. and room and board because it's, it's much easier on the psyche to be able to, to, to do even what work, little work you can in order to earn your right, stake. Right. There's a, in this particular time period too, the idea of a man's work was, you know, his, what defined that's him, are. right? That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's your worth. It's all tied up in what can you do? What kind of work can you do? Right. And I know um, we've tried to get away from that, but I don't, no. I don't think that's changed that much. I think no, people still no. feel that way as much as they want to say so they don't. I think so too. I think so too. Um, and this idea that he, he won't, should be a ranch hand, but he doesn't have a hand, is <laughs> sort of like you know you're right, right about you're right in being a, a you're right about them being gracious about giving him that. But um, you, I want to come back to what you said is that uh, Candy overhears he doesn't he doesn't uh, they don't include him right uh, not purposefully, uh, but he overhears George and Lenny talking about the dream the dream we talked about earlier about the living off the fat of the land and having our own place and no one telling us what to do and we go come and go as we please. Um, and it is so appealing to Candy because mm-hmm. he sees there, I can't do much, but I could do this. I could plant this. I could do this. I only got one hand, but I could do this. And he sees some worth in there. And that dream elevates him and, and, and buoys him through, you know, the, we didn't mention that he, that, uh, they talk him into <laughs> to, uh, killing his dog and say that you're not doing anyone any favors, Candy, by keeping this old ratty dog alive. Um, it's a little odd. Um, Carlson is the one who just sort of demands that this dog be killed, uh, like right then and there, you know, uh, and, and I'll do it. I'll do it right now. I'll do it right now. You know, uh, I'm tired well, of smelling him. Um, and you know, I was like that, that whole scene is, is oh, painful, but yeah. the fact that Slim gives his assent as well is sort yes. of credit to the fact that, no, this actually is what needs to happen. Right, right. And and it, and it is true. I mean, the dog is old. It's it's it's, you know, I mean any pet owner, it's a horrible time when you realize that your your dog is is not happy or it's not, you know, that that the state where you're well, I'm thinking of my old dog um, yeah. that we had to put down. Uh, when a- just realized, yeah, wow, she's just not She's not the same anymore, and this is actually su- she's suffering, right. and it's it's best if we just put her down. It's a terrible it's a terrible spot, but it happens a little abruptly in this in this novel, and I think it happens with Carlson not really being fully in on the whole thing. Um, he's sort of 
uh, talked into getting rid of his dog. Um, Candy, that is. Yeah. Who, who, talked did I say? No, I, you said Carlson. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Carlson is the one who actually. Uh, yeah, he's does the one with the Ruger. Right. <laughs> Which we'll appear so, later. Yeah. So anyway, that and and that that uh, actually becomes probably one of our most obvious forms of foreshadowing, which readers don't recognize foreshadowing until the end of the novel, usually, or when the event that is foreshadowed actually occurs. But uh, the idea of Candy's dog. Uh, being sort of mercifully killed is in the ex- is the exact same way that that Lenny is mercifully killed by George at the end. And there's mm-hmm. incredibly strong parallels there. Um, so it's uh, worth noting. It's worth noting here too that that while Candy, after in retrospect, realizes that it was his place to do that. It was his. He should have been the one to shoot right. his dog. I don't. I admit, like, I don't fully understand that sentiment. Like, I get it, and it seems right to me. It's like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's... And, in fact, the one time we had to put down our own dog, like, it was... Mm-hmm. Gosh, it was heartbreaking. But yeah. it's like I knew... It, it It only seemed right that I was right there while that yeah. happened. Yeah, But, But at the same time... Uh, you know that in some ways George is a better man because he's willing to go do it himself. Like Lenny was yeah. going to die by the end of the story, one yes, way or another. Right, like there was right. no way around it. Right. It wasn't like it wasn't like a murder what he was going to do because no, like Den- Lenny was as good as dead. Yeah, it was a mercy killing. He was yeah. going to be killed by by the men brutally. Who were after him. He's and, talking and, about and, shooting him in the gut with a shotgun, which is just this brutal, oh, yeah. slow way to die. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, so so you know, without a doubt, what George did was merciful. But he also proves himself in some ways the stronger the better man by being mm-hmm. willing to do it himself right right and that's Ugh. where candy has that big regret right yeah. where he says i should have done it myself mm-hmm. i should have done it myself but it sounds like you do understand that there's you know you said you weren't you didn't well understand. i understand that it's it's something like intuitively i get that that's the right ethical thing to do or the right. more ethical thing to do uh-huh. but why exactly i couldn't articulate yeah yeah is there some sense of responsibility that we have if we are, you know, that, um, yeah, I mean, the, an obligation. I mean, there is a, there's a strange, I mean, we look at the relationship between George and Lenny, there is one of obligation. There is mm-hmm. one of responsibility, he, you know, he, for whatever reason, and it's not really articulated, um, very well. Right. Um, we know that, um, George knew, uh, Lenny's aunt, aunt Clara, and that's really all we know. Yeah, you're and not that, really and sure that how they, they began, end up together. Yeah, and that, that that Aunt Clara died, and then here was Lenny, and it just sort of fell to George to sort of take care of him. Um, he didn't have to take on that obligation. Um, I would argue that in this man's world of labor and work as your as your uh, measure of worth that Lenny is an incredible worker. He yeah. can do the work of three or four men. He's huge. He's big. He's the opposite of George. So in some ways, the friendship that they have, I would have to argue, is somehow based on George was a, I'm sorry, Lenny was able to do something for George. You know what I mean? It's not yeah, like, it's, right. not, it's not pure love and well, friendship and kindness. that brings us back to loneliness too, though, because mm-hmm. if nothing else, George George has some companionship in Lenny. Mm-hmm. They, they're counterparts mm-hmm. in, in some sense. George is, is smart and he's very quick-witted. I mean, he, he goes... He actually is is very similar to Slim, and in mm-hmm. their conversations, like they can see eye to eye in a lot of ways. Yeah. There's, there's some hints of that. 
And and the the rough thing about being a person who's smart is you you tend to tend to get yourself rationalized into into depressions and holes and mm-hmm. and you see through the the veiled facades of hope in, <laughs> into the realistic nature of the way the world is. I mean, mm-hmm. straight off when they show up there, George recognizes that can't um, not Candy uh, Curly's wife is is going to be trouble. Straight off, he right. sees also he sees that Curly is going to be trouble. Like, right, right. He, he knows he sees the 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 likely doom in in these situations very quickly and very that's quickly yeah and and that's uh it's i think it's easier to be a happy person and be ignorant than uh-huh. it is to be to be on top of everything and to be right. hopeful and positive but yeah i mean and to that point it was something that struck me the other night when i was reading this again and i've read it many times but the idea that you know, they should have gone right to work. Like he, he only let them off. The bus let them off really, you know, only a couple miles from the place, but they decide to spend one more night away. And George mm-hmm. takes this one night to just to be under the stars and lay there yeah. and not have that worry. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you said, he knows the drudgery. He knows what's going to happen. He's worked in many, many places before. Here we go again. Let me just take this night. Right. Just to, and I'm going to pay for it because they're going to be mad. You know, they're right. going to show up late and which are not going to show up, but he could have easily made it, you know what I mean, to work. But right. he chooses. And I think that's part of what you, you made me think about it when you talked about how an intelligent person knows, just intuitively knows this is going to be a challenge. It's going to be rough. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm back in this again. Let me just take one night to get away from that. And I'm just going <laughs> to lay out here under the stars. It's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. Well, and that's, and that, the, you know, that he struggles with the loneliness. So like we, when you were talking about like what Lenny adds to that, to that interaction is he, he is a companion of sorts and slim note recognizes that. And even candy recognizes that, that, okay, they have each other. Mm-hmm. No one else in this story has anybody. Um, and that's, that's kind of the sad thing about the story. You've got all these different characters and, and they're all coexist together to some degree. But, mm-hmm. but Lenny has George and George, George has Lenny in some sense. And he tell he feels for him. He appreciates the companionship, but at the same time, the companionship of someone who's, who's intellectually so, so different is just not the same. Right. You know, he, he can't, he, George, uh, Lenny has a predictability to him that George doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that they're just—they're not on the same footing there. No, but Slim would be a better companion he for would, George. Potentially, I mean, that, ideally, those would be—you know—those two guys could really do well together. Potentially, um, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but they're all—they're all lonely folks. You know, yeah, they're all really, yeah. really lonely. And of course, Candy's wife—I mean, uh, sorry, Curly's wife. It, they're married and they're lonely. Yeah, they're always yeah. chasing each other around. Like they—they they never, you That's never right. see them together. <laughs> like right. one's looking for the other, and the other's looking for them. And right. she's always poking in on the guys, trying to get him to have a conversation with her because she's just hasn't have anyone to talk to. Right, right. And uh, you know, and you and you kind of figure out after a while that that it's these individual. It's actually the hopes of each individual that drive them, the ambitions that drive them apart. So like, you know, Curly's wife her ambition that she hasn't quite given up on it makes her regret her decision to to marry Curly and right. Curly's ambition to be a boxer and right. his golden gloves guy. He missed it by just a little or whatever. Right, right. Makes drives him into to, to fighting and to to pursue these little grudges with different people and right. and it pushes him away from his wife, I'm sure. That's that that's that anti-mouse uh idea ideology right. where you're where you're looking back at the past and saying 
if only I would have done this, if I could have just done this, things would have been different. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if I'd got that, if my mom hadn't hid that letter from the guy who was going to put me in the movies. Right, uh, right. You know, these, the, and as readers, we kind of look at these things and go, well, that doesn't sound like something to really hang your hope on, you know, but, right. um, but that's what people do. Yeah, um, and I think there's there's a subtle distinction between an ambition and a dream, like and and a and having a vision for your life that that is motivating and it, like like there's a subtle distinction between a a good vision and a bad vision. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty clear that Curly's wife has a like a, a false vision. Yeah, like, yeah, that's come and gone, and she doesn't know it yet. Right. You know, Curly's Golden Gloves boxing thing, same thing probably. Right. Like it's come and right. gone, and and. He's not going anywhere. With right. It. He's working yeah, that, on a ranch. That, that's not a. That's no longer a dream or an ambition. And if it is, it's a. It's a poor one because right. it will not be realized. And it's very self-serving. So I think both mm-hmm. of those dreams and visions are, are very self-serving. But mm-hmm. but there's something about Lenny and George's vision that even though it's doomed in some sense, or mm-hmm. it, at least in the moment it's doomed, it, I don't think it needs to be. And there's something righteous about it. Like there's something about the the humble state of look. We just want to have. Uh, an, right. acre. an acre like you can't <laughs> right. su- you can't do sustenance farming on an acre like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time the the humble that the, the humility the fact that you can bring other people along into it right right the it's inspiring it right, brings people right. together it's mm-hmm. it's gonna serve their interests together in in some of the best possible ways they could and and it is doable right, right? i mean it it's not as far-fetched as no. curly as a golden glove boxer or curly's wife as an actress right uh, it, it's 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 doable it's it's it could be realized it reminds me of that uh smart smart goals i don't know if you've right. seen that sure with, uh, sure uh, s- s- what's see something um Attainable, specific, yeah, specific, measurable, measurable, attainable, realistic, and somehow kind of time oriented or yeah, something like that. Yeah, time specific a, or something. Right. Uh-huh, something yeah, so like that. It's, it's, it's kind of that. It's like, it's actually a smart goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what, and it is, there's some beauty in that, in that dream. And I like that how you said it's not as self serving as a Curly's or Curly's wife's dream. Um, and the way that it is so contagious and, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, as soon as Candy hears and, and gets into it, he, he, he wants a piece of this. That sounds wonderful. And mm-hmm. even when Lenny, in his, you know, sort of odd way, is articulating it later on to Crooks, uh, the, the black uh, stable buck, uh, in the story, who's got a very tragic time in this novel, but um, the Crooks even gets into it like, well, could you use somebody like me there too? Like, you know, the, the dream is just like contagious. It's right. like, wow, I, I want that too. I want that. Um, and part of it is I don't have to worry about anything and I'll have, you know, someone will be there. You know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's just for me, but I'll, I'll be part of something. Right. And that's uh, part of something that you own in some sense. Yeah. I think there's, there's something essential. Another essential part of that dream is is a personal ownership of it, because mm-hmm. really what Candy was talking about and that isn't any a better situation than where he is. Like he has room and board. He's safe, secure. Like they're, they are giving him fairly easy work to do, but it's 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 something mm-hmm. and and he's taken care of. But at the same time, it's not his own. Right, and and he's still sort of at the mercy of other people. Right, right. He's he's lacking that personal agency that he, that I think that would just make him come alive. Right, and there and that's articulated when they talk about the dream about how um, that if if they want to go somewhere, if there's a carnival in town, they just go. Yeah, you know, they don't have to like you know. So you're really looking it. at this. 
it they, they actually their dream consists of a a lack of obligation you know what mm-hmm. i mean like it, you know it, it, it only the, the only obligation is to oneself in that dream yeah and to each other and to each other because i'm depending on you to feed the rabbits and you're depending on me to grow the alfalfa and and, and so there is that that reciprocity but there is a but it is a dream of a, a life free of of obligation to somebody else there's right. no boss yep um you are your own boss you are your own I think uh, I think many 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 people have that dream <laughs> to varying degrees, and then it gets burned out of us in our first couple of jobs, <laughs> and then we start to realize. Uh, I mean, anyone who's tried to to scratch a living, right. self-employed, yeah. knows how hard it is and yeah. how much work it, how much more work it is right. to get any sort of quote comfortable living, right. Like that's it's really difficult. Yeah. My my father d- left a, a business and began a, a a pool route when he was quite older, you know, m- much older than he, you know, than most people would start a pool route. Um, and he did that by himself. And he and it, as it got busier and busier, people kept saying, "You got to hire somebody else. You got to hire someone else to help you out." And he never would do it. He always wanted to just because. He knew, you know, what he could do and what is, you know, what his work ethic was, and he never trusted anyone else with that work ethic. Right. So you work in an industry where you have to have help. You cannot do it all alone. No. My dad could clean pools by himself. <laughs> he right, could fix right. heaters by himself. Um, but I thought it was interesting that he never, that he kept that to himself because he knew that it, it, as soon as he brought somebody else in, it would sort of convolute things a little bit. Yeah, uh, and complicate and complicate things, things for, for him. Sure. So, um, so I thought that was always kind of interesting. But it's he, pretty bold of him though to 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 pull a candy here and leave a place with a stable, consistent income and start mm-hmm. your own, start yeah. his own thing, and where it mm-hmm. actually is dependent only on your actions. There's yeah. some anti fragility in that because yeah. you know you can only ever have one or two clients fire you at a time, whereas mm-hmm. opposed to your your boss firing you and now your host. Yeah. So there, it it's <laughs> it's a kind of a counterintuitive security in mm-hmm. that. There's there's more resilience in having a diversity of income, even if it mm-hmm. is all dependent on you. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Well, I will say for my father that he would tell us later that he wished he would have done it earlier mm. uh, and that he I think he was at his happiest when he was <laughs> out there cleaning pools. Himself. Yeah, it, it, because I think it's the I think it's that dream. I don't have to worry about anybody else but me. And if I don't want to go to work tomorrow, I don't go to work tomorrow. And yeah. if I want to clean that pool tomorrow instead of uh, today, I'll clean it tomorrow. You know, I mean, yeah. it, I think that he enjoyed that, and I think that you know that is a that is a nice thing to think about. You know, like I've got yeah. to go to work tomorrow. And yeah, it'd be nice if I could just say, ah, maybe I'll take one more day. It's not a, <laughs> but, uh, oh. so there is a, so obligation and, uh, responsibility, um, fits into this story quite well, I think too. I mean, think about Lenny and George's relationship. What now George itself it, self, well, self-imposed, but he does have a, a, a an obligation to Lenny. He does Definitely. have a responsibility yeah. for Lenny. And he seems um, to have taken up voluntarily and, and maintains right, voluntarily. Right. Yeah. So that that obligation is, uh, you know, he he has this line, and it, it's as repeated as often as the dream about how if you weren't around, I could just sit around all day. I could go to a cat house. I could drink my whiskey. I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Um, which is, you know. Some of it's talk, but I think some of it is actually some truth. There's some truth to that as well. 
that George could be, could possibly be maybe better off without uh, Lenny. Now, we, no one's made it of Mice and Men Part 2, so we don't get to see what happens to right. George. We don't get to uh, see if he's willing to keep making sacrifices right, for the future. Right, right. Yeah, it is interesting to see what would happen to to George. Um, you know, he the the dream the dream does die when he realizes that this is going to have to be the end of Lenny mm-hmm. because Candy tries to keep the dream alive. Hey, he even says point blank, "Are we still going to do it? You know, are we still going to able to do it?" And he says kind of a sad line where he says, "You know, I never really thought we would do it. I never really believed in that anyway." Um, and no, basically we're not going to do it. And, right. Um, and, and, and that is kind of sad. I mean, it's really sad. Right. Actually. Cause it doesn't need to die with Lenny. I mean, Lenny was helping a right, little bit, right. but he already, he has a third of the investment right there with, with candy, which with was candy. more than they had before. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so there's not, I think, I think part of it was that, and there's something to be said for having, having people in your life who are focused on on these visions and who you are obligated to there there's a certain amount of um confidence and and positivity that came from that partnership with him and lenny yeah like there was there's a joy a simple joy of and a, and a simple reason for george to keep getting up and keep saving his his money because he mm-hmm. knows sooner or later uh, Lenny's going to end up in trouble that he can't get him out of. Right. I think right. he knew that that was an eventuality. And so if they yeah. didn't end up getting their own place, mm-hmm. it was either they're going to get their own place where, where George who's understanding of him can let him, let him have his, have his rabbits mm-hmm. or, or Lenny was going to end up in trouble that where he's going to end up dead. Right. And it was one or the other and they needed yeah. to get through, get one first. Mm-hmm. And there's a few mm-hmm. times where he says, ah, oh, we should just get out of here today. We should leave. You know, yeah, and yeah. and he maybe he should have because that was that was what he was up against, and I think the the sad thing is you know that now that that obligation's gone, George is as lonely as anyone, and mm-hmm. he he won't find it find the meaning within himself to to pursue the same dream because his dream is is likely to be different. Yeah, yeah, you know, this he, was their dream. This right? was their dream, right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, boy, it's a, it is a, it, it is a, <laughs> we get sad, sad talking about it because I feel, I just feel so bad for, for George. Well, I feel awful for Lenny too. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that, you know, what gets Lenny in trouble all the time is this, this, this interesting human trait, I guess, this, this desire for soft things. <laughs> and, um, and Curly's wife talks about it later in the novel where he, and he says, I just like to feel soft things. And she says, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> I mean, it is a we universal thing. Like, you yeah. know, and he had a piece of velvet that his aunt had given him that he used to walk around and stroke. Um, in, in the beginning of the novel, there's a mouse that he's carrying in his, uh, in his pocket. No, no reference to um, the title, I don't think, in that, in that case. But he carries a little mouse. He, the, the pup that, he, uh, that Slim gives him that he eventually kills. Um, he, and, and George tells him, you, you continually destroy these things that you love. 
So, uh, and he can't help it. He pets the mouse too hard and kills it. The, the pup sort of nips at him and he kind of hits the pup too hard and, and he kills the pup. Uh-huh. Um, the woman in weed, he just wants to touch her dress. He has no sexual desire for her at all, um, but he loves touching the dress. She says, let go of my dress. He, he gets freaked out. He holds on tighter and she she calls rape I mean and she's genuinely afraid and just as Curly's wife is afraid as well because he begins to touch her hair and stroke her hair and she says okay let go now and he and she starts to panic a little bit and then that makes him grab on tighter and so he's sort of this victim of all of Lenny's problems come out of this idea of destroying what is something beautiful and holding and, too and, tightly and, to something that yeah, you really want. Yeah. And and it's 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 an interesting thing, but that's it, that's at the heart of all of his problems mm-hmm. is this idea that um this this uh, liking soft things. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> a, not to simplify it too much, but right. really that's you know every I mean that's a that's almost a Buddhist principle right there you can pull out of that, which is the idea that that our attachments to things are what ultimately cause us suffering. You know, mm-hmm. like his his over attachment to those soft things in the moment in 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 those instances are what get him into the most trouble. Yeah, all the time. And there's, I suppose, there's something to be said for that. Which is why these rabbits yeah. <laughs> that are soft are like, hey, I'm gonna give you a million rabbits. You right. Know, you can. You know, they'll just keep yeah, coming. Yeah, they'll keep coming. There'll be hundreds of them, and yeah, you can kill them if you have to, or if you accidentally kill one, and there'll be another one to follow. Um. So the the. Uh, but I, it, it is a, it is a sad thing, um, and then Curly's wife shares that same, you know, and, and I like the way she says that too. She says, "Well, who doesn't? I, I like I like soft things. Well, who doesn't? Right? <laughs> who doesn't like soft things? I think that's, I mean, that's that's just it. Is that, that it, it's it's uh, a little bit vulnerable. I mean, Lenny doesn't know it, but it's it's vulnerable for a man to admit that he likes these soft things yeah and he, he really likes them you know it's, yeah. it's kind of his his greatest joy in life is centered around having these especially soft things mm-hmm. um but uh, but no one else will admit it except for right, curly's right. wife who's, yeah. who's not a man in, right, that, in right. this man's world but of course they all would love to have have you know some some soft things around and some sure. comforts and uh it's like it's it's appealing to everyone but but only the the weak or the vulnerable or the clueless are willing to admit it. <laughs> right. I feel like um, well, let's look at the character of Slim because Steinbeck takes great pains to paint him as this. You know, he is the moral center of this of this novel. Um, he's he, you right. know he is described so reverently, um, and when he listens and he looks at you, he looks at you with godlike eyes, and he's just is is just elevated to this position of of of. He's the Josiah's talked earlier about a natural hierarchy that emerges. Slim is the the leader of these men. They look right. to him. Uh, his word is gospel. I'm kind yep. of paraphrasing, but they say something like that mm-hmm. in the novel. That as soon as it, you mentioned earlier about as soon as Slim gives his acknowledgement that that's the right thing to do is to kill the kill the uh, candy's dog, then that's what has to be done because Slim said it now. So. Um, so Slim is, I mean, Slim is one that is probably has more feminine qualities than in this masculine world. Um, the, you know, he's not. Uh, Where do you see that? In his way that he listens and understands uh, more than 
the other guys, they want to play horseshoes. They want to go to cat houses. They want to drink. Um, they want to read Western novels. Mm-hmm. And the interaction with Slim and George, where Slim listens and acknowledges and is... Really understands some of the emotional yeah. complexity of that relationship. There's much more... Exactly. He, he gets it. He mm-hmm. gets it in a way that the other guys are really suspect. No one else gets it. The boss is suspicious immediately. Crooks is suspicious. Everyone thinks that something's wrong there with this relationship. And Slim gets it. Like, no, I, I see... You know, oh, he's just a he's just a big like a big kid, isn't he? He's just like you know, and, and so, so I think that he's um, so Slim is is is. I was thinking about Slim probably wouldn't have any qualms about saying he likes soft things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, right. But well, uh, he's got he's the one with the dogs, yeah, you know, or the, right. the whole the new litter. Yep, Lulu and her litter of pups. Uh, but he also does what he has to do, right? He's drowned some of the pups, oh, right? That, that. <laughs> that's your first thing you find out he does. He comes in from drowning pups he can't take care of or that, that the mom can't take care of. Like she has, what, nine pups and he immediately drowns four of them because there's just no way she can. No way because she can take care of that many of them. Yeah. That's so, that, what, what is the, I mean, that's such a harsh reality right yeah, there. Like that's. Yeah. To, to take your, your most promising character, your moral center of the piece, and and have him come in from, from drowning pups. Like, he's, I mean, you know immediately, okay, so you know immediately, okay, so if there's, let, here's, this is interesting. So you've got three people who experience a test of doing the hard right thing. Mm-hmm. First, it's Candy, mm-hmm. and he can, he doesn't do the hard right thing. He lets someone else Let go someone shoot, else his shoot his dog. Slim yeah. comes in. And from just having drowned three of his nine pups or whatever it was. And, and so, you know, right off that he's someone who's capable and understands what it means to do the right thing, even if mm-hmm. it's hard and, and brutal. Um, and then you George sort of passes that test with Lenny at the end too, mm-hmm. where he has to do the same thing mm-hmm. and, and make this hard sacrifice for his own sake or for, for the sake and for the sake of, of, of Lenny. Um, Oh, that's like what it's interesting that those that these these actions are set up as admirable. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. that's that's a question that's a in my mind, that's a, that's an open discussion. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's those are good solutions. Of course, I live in a different world now. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I, 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 I think we might be. Yeah, I'm, it, it, we might be imposing our, you know, our belief system on, on, on the on the mm-hmm. drowning of the pup thing, which I think is maybe less of a big deal back then. Than, yeah. I mean, it it's definitely, definitely. Um, but the, uh, but the idea of doing the hard right thing is, is interesting. And I think that slim is, he, he's one of those characters that remains uh, consistent throughout. I mean, everyone is going to undergo some change, but slim, I don't think any of these events are going to change slim at all. Right. I would imagine candy's going to be, you know, left with some, you know, remorse. I had something, it slipped away. Yeah. George has lost a companion and a, someone that he's been traveling with for a long time. Curly's been damaged. Curly's wife is dead. Um, Slim just keeps on going. I wonder what Slim's dream is or if he has yeah. one. Yeah. A, yeah. The, everyone who experiences the, a loss in this is, is soon to be faced with the, the need to transform their dream a little bit. So George's... If he's going to keep going, he's going to have to shift it or he'll just end up on the lonely road of 
living in the moment and mm-hmm. spending everything he earns. And same with Candy, whose whose dream shifted when when Lenny died, and and he his is shifted twice. <laughs> so right. he catches on to this new one. He's like, God, that sounds awesome. And then you know he's gonna have to find a new ideal again. Yeah. And, but like you said, Slim doesn't really change. But I wonder what keeps him going. You know, what drives him to be the best right, and, and right. to to you know facilitate this this particular operation and it's unclear if he's actually a, a traveling worker. I don't know. Maybe a, a Skinner is a traveling worker like the rest of those guys. Yeah, he seems like he's got some... Seems a little more stable. ...set up in that place a little bit more. Right. It's almost like a, they don't call him the boss, right? He's right. not the boss, but mm-hmm. he's clearly the leader there. Right, he's but he's definitely, he's definitely our most admir- admirable character, right? I mean, and, and since nothing necessarily bad happens to him when all the other characters... Are, are harmed in some way. I guess you could, I mean, there's some minor characters. This guy Carlson is, is not really, um, probably worth talking yeah. about too much. What's that? It's not really worth talking about. I mean, no, not much no, he's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he furnishes a gun. <laughs> you know, we he's haven't, doing... we haven't addressed, um, George's abuse of, of Lenny in, in the way he talks. Right. Do you, how do you feel about that? Like, especially in your first introduction to those two, he's, well, he's kind of berating him. I will tell you that, that students in general uh, always say he's so mean. This is, you know, they don't see this as a story of friendship in the beginning. No, it seems they, like manipulation. They, they, they see it as like, he is so you know, like, you know, in that opening scene when they get there. And again, think about it. I mean, they're on the run because of, you know, they had to s- s- hang out in an irrigation ditch up to mm-hmm. their necks in water, you know, just to, you know, so he's probably a little pissed. You know, <laughs> Rightfully <laughs> so, perhaps. Lenny, oh my God, he did it again. Um, but when you first come upon them, there is a... Um, there it is. It's it almost seems abusive. He's really, you know, you, you make me so mad. I could get so much. I could be better off that you're such a dummy. You're so stupid. I mean, it's really harsh. And students don't don't see friendship at all. They don't mm-hmm. look at it as. But I look at it as. And again, we're kind of back to this sort of gender thing. This idea of that males have a much more, you know, tendency to. And there's a line in there. I, I can't wish I would have uh, highlighted it more. That says that you could hear. I think that you hear them playing horseshoes, and it's the cheering and the jeering of each. You know, so we can, you know, men and I, I, maybe women as well. But I think one thing that is definitely a male trait is this idea that we start mocking and teasing each other, and we can be harsh with one another. You and, almost, it, and it really is. It really is just antler clashing. You know, it's not not like right. it's not no, like it's, a, it's, it's pretty hollow. It's like pretty. It's, not it's meant pretty for... hollow. So I I look at the when he says these things to Lenny, I don't see it as malice or um, or I really don't like you or you really bug me. Um, right. I, I, I mean, it is a story of a very unique friendship and. When you kind of know that he's not underneath it all is love, right? Right. And and so I don't really see him as as abusive. For one thing, I don't think Lenny is capable of understanding abuse. You know what I mean? Like that. You know, he's he knows he knows it it doesn't feel very very (laughs) good. But he also knows that he can. That you know, he starts saying, "Well, I can just go live in a cave. I can just go. I can leave." And. uh and then he senses his advantage as he sees George kind of go, well, I don't really want you to totally leave and you don't need to go to a cave. Do you remember that part in the beginning when he talks about, um, I, you know, so I think that um, Lenny sees, 
I don't I don't think Lenny would consider himself abused. He loves George unconditionally. Um, there's two times where Lenny's talking about how George treats him mm-hmm. that I think that redeem that that scene a little bit and mm-hmm. really provide uh, uh, sort of evidence for what you're saying. I'm thinking about one time like uh towards uh towards the end where he's talking about he's he's hiding after having killed uh, curly's wife and uh-huh. he said oh man george's gonna he's gonna chew me out he's gonna he's gonna rip me a new one like he's just he knows that george is gonna be upset about it because he's done something bad mm-hmm. um and then but but he also so there's an expectation of of that of that wrath but at mm-hmm. the same time he also knows that that's it like mm-hmm. you know he knows that he's still safe with george and there's a line yeah. he says at some point when um uh when he's talking when lenny is talking to crooks where crooks is saying well, what if george just leaves what if he just doesn't come back and he goes oh george wouldn't do that you know george he would right. he would be he would come back for me he wouldn't leave me you know he, he's yeah. he's pretty confident in in george's commitment to him Mm -hmm. and i think that um that is is pretty typical of of close male working relationships like there's a there's on one hand a confidence of each other's support and on the other hand a you know a a certain amount of ruthlessness to the razzing (laughs) you know and if you're not if, if if you never get razzed by your coworkers right. in, the, in the male settings, it, it means that they haven't really accepted you yet. Like you're not really uh, a one of the group yet. I agree. <laughs> I think it's I think it's true. I mean, um, I mean, I know that my wife will sometimes, you know, her eyebrows will raise at the way that some of my buddies and I will talk to each other, and yeah. it because it, it sounds like abuse, you know what I mean? Right. But we're just <laughs> messing with each other. Right, we're just right. you know calling each other names and, you know, and if once in a while it's fist gets thrown it's just all part of the fun <laughs> <laughs> it's just part of the, part of the game yeah there. um yeah so i so it, it takes me a while to sort of calm students down who see this as an abusive relationship mm-hmm. from the very beginning you know and yeah. to caution them to stay with it and to see what what is george getting out of this relationship and they'll come up with a lot of the same ideas that you and i have talked about well and george in the end you know when they're when he's having lenny go look across the stream oh yeah picture his dream he says yeah i was never mad at you never never i was never i was never mad never mad and that's important to keep in mind um if you haven't seen the film version of this with Gary Sinise and John Malkovich, it's it's definitely worth your time. Um, it's probably, to me, as a teacher of, of literature, there's very few movies that I like. I did like The Great Gatsby, the one that we talked about weeks ago. Um, I thought that was done pretty well. I was done um, well. I like it when a, when a filmmaker, you can tell, understands the novel and understands the themes and the, and the ideas that the author of the novel is presenting and then figures out a way to present those on st- uh, you know on screen mm-hmm. you know that doesn't change the idea it doesn't just take the characters and the and the plot and then just make it into a movie um they sort of keep some of the ideals and some of the the big ideas and i don't think any movie does that as well as of mice and men um the it's pretty it's, high praise from the english teacher there yeah well I, i'm uh, gary sinise had a relationship with of mice and men um where he absolutely loved it he loved steinbeck and he loved of mice and men and saw in it the potential as a play and performed it as a as a play huh. for quite a while with john malkovich as in Len, as lenny so it, it started as a play and then became a film and uh it's definitely it is definitely worth worth checking out um it's it's a good one but um, let's see. 
let's see. Do we have any have any big ethical takeaways from this? Like, what do you how do you feel, or what do you feel like John Steinbeck? How is he informing our lives uh, today? Like, how what do you think he's directing? What is he supposing to be a good way to live? How to, the way to be? You know, this is a tragedy. Obviously, it, it's so he's probably directing us away from a certain type of action, certain course, um, and, and maybe, maybe pointing us mm-hmm. in, in a, in a, a more positive direction to hopefully avoid same tragedies. What, what yeah. do you see here as, well, to answer that question, I think we go back to look and see, look at our characters and see who we find admirable and who we don't find admirable. Right. So obviously, um, Curly, you know, is, is someone that we don't want to emulate. And yeah. so there's some certain, I don't want to say warnings, but some ideas that this is not who you want to be. This is not the way to be. Um, but it's a warning about the validity of dreams, perhaps, because we talked about that already. But the idea that his dream was really built on a foundation of sand, you know, his, you know, Curly's dream of being a professional boxer, you know, it seems like it's not going to be realized and he doesn't have any, you know, the back. He's just a jerk because right. of it. He's a terrible person. He's Thanks. not... He's not nice. He picks the wrong girl, you know, and mm-hmm. he's uh, and so, um, so I think that part of what Steinbeck is suggesting is that I mean, you mentioned uh, when we were talking before about a big takeaway is the driving force of a dream, how powerful a dream can be to drive us in positive right. ways. Having an appropriate dream, having an appropriate right. dream, yeah. and having the appropriate actions to make that dream realized. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't. We see the importance of the dream, but we don't see a lot of that appropriate action that's taken to have that dream realized. It gets it gets close, um, but circumstances um, arise where that just doesn't happen, and that's life. I mean, that's that's right. exactly what happens. So I think that one, the, I think that we look to Slim as this sort of guy who is before you get away from curly i want to tie in that cain abel story again because curly is a cain character Mm. he he does have his dreams dashed Mm -hmm. uh lenny's fist is broken i mean lenny breaks curly's fist so he's permanently his dream is dead like he can't be a boxer after his hands been broken it'll never work again Mm -hmm. but and so and his his response is like cain in that he gets bitter and he wants to go shoot lenny that's right and everyone everyone else knows that lenny is harmless as can be like he's not he does nothing out of meanness but but sure as anything sure as sin uh curly's gonna go kill him and you know, mm-hmm. you know a little bit. It's because of his wife, but you know their relationship is on the rocks at best. And so right, it's it's right. obviously not some totally righteous right. vengeance. It's not, he's it's not do that here. for my love of my wife no. of two weeks. You no, know, it's because of his it's, own it's, bitterness it's, and his yeah. own heart, because yeah. of his own crushed dreams. Yeah. So you know that that's it, it's Steinbeck is suggesting like, look, don't get bitter. Like, yeah, you yeah. you you dreams may not come true. Right. Bitterness right. isn't the answer. Bitterness is not the answer. Bitterness is not the answer. And I don't think not dreaming is the answer either. Yeah, right. Um, because the, <sighs> what we feel, when we feel sorrow for somebody like Crooks mm-hmm. who, um, who ventures out, so to speak. So he's, he's isolated on the farm because, or on the ranch because of his skin color. And he's, he, he, he's, they let him play horseshoes every now and then, but they don't let him go to town. They don't let him in the bunkhouse. Yeah. Uh, he's separate. So he's truly isolated. And he gets his own 
like chapter too. So I think that Steinbeck really wants us to look at this character of uh, of Crooks. Um, he's bent too and twists. He's got he's been he's he's disabled. You know right. he's got a he's hunched over he's and he's always trying by the to, weight of the world. There. Always trying to rub his liniment on him, <laughs> trying to make his you know this little um, uh, ointment to make him feel a little bit better. But when he does branch out, when he allows first Lenny into his room, which is a big deal. He says, yeah. you're, not, you're not wanted in here. And, oh, well, you know, now that you're here, why don't you go ahead and sit down? You know? and, uh, <laughs> so he, he sort of says, okay, well, I'm going to try out this companionship thing. And it's really interesting the way that that scene develops because he, one of his first things that he does is he, he's, he's kind of mean to Lenny. Yeah, you know, and, and and sort of, I don't want to say teases him, but does this this thing that probably is what people have done to Crooks his whole life is to just find these negative things and yeah. and, and sort plant of, a dark a deep fear in right, his mind, right? Or because, prey on the one thing he's probably most worried about. You yeah, know, George and, leaving him, and it, and it and it's it's unfortunate that Crooks leads with that, you know, and that he's uh, that you know what if what if George never comes back and right. and doesn't stop until he realizes that Lenny's really freaking out yeah, about it, yeah, really him upset, and, and, and it gets him upset, and then thankfully he he sort of pulls back. Well, yeah, it's the same thing George does. When he's first interacting with Lenny, <laughs> he's right. really mean to him, and then, yeah. but then sort of realizes that Lenny didn't hurt, didn't hurt right, anybody, and, right, and then right. sort of just takes him in. Yeah, but anyway, well, yeah. that but the part that no um, dreaming. So then, uh, so, so when, um, so then I think we have Candy who comes in, t- and so there's a, it becomes a party at Crooks's house, you know. Right. So <laughs> now he's got two people in his place that no one ever went to before, right. and then as they're talking, boom, here comes this Candy's wife. Sorry, Curry's Curly's wife. wife. And she blocks out the sun and she's, she takes him by surprise. And there's three people in Crooks's room, you know. So this is so different for him. And then uh, uh, she, you know, they, they all kind of tell her, yeah, you need to get out of here. You need to, you know, you shouldn't be in here. You, you, you know, yeah. and, and they're and all they, rightfully trying to avoid trouble. Yeah, here. they don't want, you know, they don't want to even really look at her and stuff. And then he makes some comment about how she shouldn't be in his room anyway and she just goes awful she says a horrible thing calls him the n-word and says i could get you lynched i could have you strung up tomorrow Mm -hmm. and crooks realizes and there's a part where he i always think of this image of a turtle because the the line says that he then retreated anything that was vulnerable he just pulled back and went back into this isolation and i think that um it's a good character to to portray that because of his because he's black um but i think it's a universal theme that we're that when we let ourselves be vulnerable like that um, that temptation yeah yeah i mean yeah and there's and we're setting ourselves up for for harm you know what i mean for for sadness and it doesn't mean that it that, that we can't overcome it um but it just means that you know to be vulnerable is to be just that it's is to be you know, like you, you could be hurt, you know? Right. And so, but I don't think that Steinbeck is advocating for, for turtles. Retreat. Like, yeah, right. he doesn't want that retreat. I think that you look at that as very, very sad right. when that happens because you, he gives you a whole bunch of crooks. You really start to understand this guy and his chicken farm and his father and, it, and his, and, and you're like, I get this guy, I get this guy. <clears throat> and then he's shut down. Right. And well, he's kind of, he's a sad character in that because one's hope for, like for example with his father right you as his father he would have hoped that crooks would have passed him you know like a good father hopes that their sons do better than they do but because of the circumstances and because of crooks willingness to 
to settle with his little hole in the wall apartment and his books and his studies. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's actually kind of an intelligent guy. Yeah, he's he's yeah. a literate black guy mm-hmm. in this, in this circumstance, mm-hmm. which would have been unusual. I, I doubt yeah, even all the other sure. guys there were literate. Yeah. Um, but he's, he, he settles for so little mm-hmm. because he's unwilling to be vulnerable in mm-hmm. the face of that kind of confrontation. Like, right, yeah, it's right. risky. Like uh, I, yeah. I'm not, blaming him for being unwilling to take a life-threatening risk because mm-hmm. that's yeah. reasonable for sure, him to, do, sure. to act yeah. the way he does but it's um it is his loss in the end right i think his skin color he didn't have to be black the poignancy would still be there but it it's so much more added and so much it's it works really well to have him be right. a, a black man <laughs> well um, it allows him to be the most isolated of the whole group mm-hmm. so here you have lenny who who sort of brings hope to the most isolated mm-hmm. um as well as to to george and these other guys who are who are less so right and so maybe that's even another takeaway there is just sort of the inspirational power of someone who's just accepting you know and who has their own vision because really mm-hmm. it's lenny's dream and that he's the he's kind of the inspiration to george he's the inspiration to candy and all of right, them right. without and it, there's no smarts involved he doesn't have to be brilliant it just has yeah. to be it's it's that it's the magic of of having the right properly oriented dream yeah. properly oriented uh ambition ideal ideal when we uh just to finish up crooks part of that sadness is you know when he retreats and when he does what i keep referring to as this turtle like sort of pulling in all exposed parts um and shrinking into his, his cell um he does something it's interesting where he tells Lenny and uh, Candy, you know how I mentioned I wanted to be part of that dream? I, I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah, and, right. he, and he turns his back on this dream that actually got his attention and maybe he saw his way out. But then when he saw the reality of, you know what, this is a life of pain. This is well, a life of suffering. Quote, I'm reality. A, I mean, yeah, it's, this like, is my it's another reality. potential reality. I've got to, I've got to worry about being lynched. I got to watch my step. Every, everything I do right. and but say he's lived his whole life. He hasn't been lynched yet. Like yeah. her, the potential outcome she exposed to him is just as much a potential outcome as the, the dream is like either way, those are both, they're not real. Mm-hmm. In any in any tangible sense, they're both potential outcomes, but he's so much more afraid of the loss than he is hopeful for for what's potentially good. Yeah, and and I think maybe that's just his life experience too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's we remember and are far more sensitive to the pains and the potential pains than we are oftentimes inspired by the potential goods. Well, that's and that goes back to our poem that inspired the novel, or that in part inspired the novel, right? This idea that we look back and we're we're still hung up on those past pains, and they're affecting us now, as we, you know, in right. in the present. Whereas uh, someone like Lenny, you know, he's living in the <laughs> living moment, in the moment, but living. he's with his dream. Yeah, yeah. So I think that um, he really doesn't dwell in the past at all. No, no. In fact, he barely remembers anything. Yeah, he doesn't really remember anything. He remembers everything that George says, but he doesn't remember anything that actually happened. Right. Um, but uh, maybe yeah. that's part of what Steinbeck is 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 recommending or or proposing as as the proper mode of being to be be forgetful of the the losses of the past, but mm-hmm. be hopeful about what could be. Yeah, I think that's 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 great because. The people who don't do that don't end up at all happy. They suffer more. In this story. They suffer yeah. more in this in this novel. So that's a that's a good way of looking at that um, and answering your question about 
what he might be suggesting. Um, you know, I think obligation is big too. Uh, and, and the idea that, you know, doing the right hard thing you talked about is, is, is big. Valuable. Everybody gets that, that it was right for George to kill Lenny rather than let Lenny get killed by Curly or any of the other guys that were after him. And they're closing in on him. He does a nice job of, you know, that it's, there's right. this pressure to do it because they're, they're coming. They're, you know, the voices are closer. They're, 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 they're dogs are barking. They're, you know, they're, they're getting there. You're getting there. So, uh, George does what he has to do, but I think that's the idea of obligation and what we're obligated to do. Um, that's one of the things that, that is very common when you teach a novel like this is you really focus on you know w- w- what is George's obligation you know what is his responsibility and it gets people to think about you know what it, what is an obligation what is responsibility what does that actually mean um, well and what's the value of it too because it's not obvious that that George is better off for the responsibility no, you know right. it's not obvious that but but it is it is when you look closely that that actually the characters who carry the most obligation and the most responsibility are the ones who who have the most peace despite despite mm-hmm. the hard things they have to do like slim is responsible for for the orchestration of that company like he's he's the leader he's the most right. competent and he carries the most responsibility and mm-hmm. he's the most grounded and george might only be second to him because of his responsibility he carries for Lenny mm-hmm. like he he like you said he owns that he's he's obligated to him and he, he is an inspiration to some of these other men as a result of that obligation that responsibility right. despite the fact that it, it it leads to very difficult ends you know mm-hmm. it, it drives him to do really difficult things and mm-hmm. painful things mm-hmm. it's like he's not he's not worse off for that responsibility if anything he's probably better off he's probably better off yeah i think he's not that... drunk and he's not in the whorehouse or whatever right right yeah. I mean, it helps ground him a little bit. It sets mm-hmm. him apart from the other men, too. That obligation is a good thing. You know, they, they, they go out and presumably, you know, he talks about how um, I think this is an interesting too, sort of a, sort of a, a moderation or a temperance that George has mm-hmm. um, where they talk about this, you know, this, this whorehouse where you can go in and the girls are clean. And if you don't want to have a girl, you can just sit and have a whiskey and she has to put water in the whiskey and stuff. And he says, well. Maybe I'll go and sit and just have one. You know what I mean? And I, right. I, I don't want to be a, you know. So he's like, well, I'm not going to just not go. You know what I mean? I'll sort of go, but I'm not going to spend all my money and mm-hmm. I'm not going to do all this. But I might sit back and have a have a drink. Right. <laughs> you know? And you believe him. You don't think like, oh, no, he's going to d- get drunk and he's going to sleep with one of these girls. No, you're like, no, no, he, he is. He, he, yeah, he'll sit in that chair and he'll sip on a whiskey. I think that's not exactly what he's going to do. Right, yeah. right. So, um, yeah, I mean... The uh, so I you know George's George's uh, you know I think we are supposed to admire George. Yeah, I think that it, when we talk about what we should get out of this novel, I think we need to look at Slim and George, uh, in in different for different reasons. Right, but, but I think therein lies the answer to what does Steinbeck think is vital or necessary for a, a, a peaceful or a content existence yeah and and the hope is that the hope i think is that george um gets past that particular sacrifice and the fact that 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 vision that dream uh didn't didn't come to fruition and and the hope is that he doesn't end up becoming cain and being bitter and 
and resentful. Well, and we can really hope and we can say that the novel ends with two companions again, and his right. companion now is Slim. Right. Right. That's how the novel ends. And it also ends with a strange question about like what's what's up with these two guys which is the same kind of thing that people were asking about him and lenny what's mm -hmm. the story with these two what's going on and the, the last line is like what do you suppose is eating those guys what's going on with that so right. oh maybe, yeah that's right because there is some hints that they they have a connection at that point yeah they go I mean, off and because drink a because bit. george tells him you know yes he took his gun uh, and, and you know that Slim understands. I think it's done really yeah, well in the movie right. because Slim, Slim knows Slim exactly, knows what, exactly happened. what happened and, and, and allows him to say, so Lenny did steal Carlson's gun. Yeah, he's still, you know, and, and, and Slim, you know. But that, so I think that we could look at that and say that there is a, there might be some hopefulness in that, that we have a new companion and perhaps it's slim. Yeah, and maybe that'll result in a new vision. Right. And maybe that right. maybe they'll both be better off and, and yeah. loneliness will be be abated for, for yet a little yeah. while longer. And yeah, you know, there's <laughs> see <laughs> it's a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a stretch there, but <laughs> but at least I mean that's there there's hey, potential yeah, for there hope for them a, in a way a, that yeah. there isn't for Curly and there isn't for Absolutely. Curly's wife. There's and there a, isn't for crooks. Like those those are people who are done. Yeah, and a potential for hope dead. is better than no hope at all, right? right? And the right. and the and the dream of you know that won't be realized is better than no dream at all, yeah. right? So, hey, I'm not laughing too hard at our interpretation of our happy ending. <laughs> it's not that much of a stretch, but uh, no, it's no love actually, <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a good read, though. I, I mean, if, for, for those of you who may be listening who haven't actually read it, I, you should. It, it's right. it's it's something that expands your humanity in a way that's yeah. it's it's difficult. And I think especially for women who don't who have a hard time understanding some of the psychology of men and our loneliness. Mm -hmm. We haven't we don't really talk about this much, but like I feel like now is is a profoundly lonely era. You know, we've got this mm -hmm. social media that's profoundly unsocial yeah. and unsociable yeah. and and provokes nothing but you know jealousy and fear of missing out yeah and, and it doesn't actually connect people well and and men who have to be stronger than ever but also don't have the same uh systemic systematic means of connecting them i mean people are working from home and mm -hmm. and you can't hug each other at work because of mm -hmm. you know ish, impropriety like there's just so much dividing people now yeah. as much as ever before um, perhaps even more than than in this time that mm -hmm. this book was written. I mm -hmm. mean, the, the camaraderie is so is so difficult to find, and, and deep friendships right. so lacking. Yeah, you know, it's now is the time to have a dream and try to bring people into it. Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's what I mean to use a, <laughs> a cod example. But Elon Musk, uh, you hear about his employees and the people that work for him and how they just work through their fingers to the bones. And, and they're so inspired by his vision for humanity that they work so much harder than they would otherwise. And his companies have done things that no one else has managed to do in mm -hmm. the history of the world. Yeah. Um, and I think there's, there's something to be said for having the competence, having the dream, bring people into it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and even if it's, even if it's something as, as simple as, you know, wanting to, to own a house with and, and live with someone. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the dream of every married couple. It's like, Hey, let's, mm -hmm. let's have our own place. Let's have our own place. Yeah, sure. Let's have American our family. Dream, right? Let's take care of people. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's something, there, there's something of value to that in and of itself and the responsibility mm -hmm. that requires mm -hmm. and the obligation to one another that, that a marriage entails that is worthy, that that's worthwhile. That's good for each other. Yeah. And, and I don't think that 
although it's it's not the end all be all and it's no certainly no guarantee of success mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there there's still meaningful things to do and to pursue and, and and to not give up on right i agree completely i mean now is a great time to have a dream and to bring people into it to yeah. repeat what you said i think that's it's very very true it might be the uh the cure <laughs> you know it might it might be the only thing that we have to set against the uh, yeah. the misery of existence at times like this yeah. And that, and and we need we need other people. I mean, we're social creatures, and we need uh, we need those people. We need people in our lives for survival. Right. Um, so, um, so as complicated as George and Lenny's relationship is, um, they still need each other, and uh, and to have and it's good to need each other. Yeah. And again, if you think about you know that novel could have ended in any number of ways, but uh, you know it could have been George walking down a road, you know, like into the sunset, you know, and, and alone. But he's not. He doesn't end alone. He no. Ends with no, somebody else. So that's giving me a little bit of hope. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> for a, for a, a lonely novel about yeah. loneliness. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it can be overcome. But I agree with you that that we do need to really look at that. the The biggest takeaway for me, I think, is the is the same one that is for you, which is the importance of having a dream and 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 the importance of, you know, that how important that driving force can be to move us forward through difficult times and through good times. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that dream can't be separated from our obligations to the people we care about. There you go. Like That's a good caveat there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't the, be. The dream alone is by like an individual's dream only for one's itself ends up like Curly or, or Curly's, Curly's wife. wife. Sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, it was a pleasure. That's quite the quite the novel. Is there anything else you want to touch on here? Oh, no, no. That's great. I think we took talked about a lot of the stuff that I wanted to definitely talk about. And uh, it's funny because if we if we read this again, like in a year, you know, or two years, we come back and we'd have new things to talk about. It's just amazing the way that, you know, I've read this novel so many times and each reading I sort of pick out something new. Same thing with a lot of great literature. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool. There's yeah, certain things that I need more reasons noticed. to read more, there's there's a good one. <laughs> there you go. You could even just read the same stuff you love and get more out of it. <laughs> Give it a little space, though. <laughs> I'm not going to read this again next week. Actually, I am going to read this again next week. So I'm actually going to teach this novel pretty soon. So. That's funny. So I'll be with the Mice and Men for a few weeks. Right. now so uh, I know, i'm already rereading a novel i read probably three months ago four months ago is that right yeah the, uh why it's called the way of kings okay. by brandon sanderson mm. I, i'm sure we'll bring out uh, go through it so i'm here a lot of spoilers there's it's like there's a four books and he's writing the fifth one ah. the fourth one just came out last a month or two ago it's fiction ah, okay. brandon sanderson has the cosmere it's kind of it's a tolkien-esque whole universe oh, okay. and he has a, a number of book series that take place in the same universe uh-huh. but like in different planets and there's a lot of integration and it's uh the way of kings is a, is a fantastic exploration of of what makes for for honorable men what makes for good mm. leadership uh, there's some there's some ethical exploration there. Oh, some of the characters. That's right up your alley, um, man. And it's uh, so is that is that the first book? It's the first one in that series. It's called the Stormlight Archive. One of my one of the most. Uh, it's the best read I think I've had this last year. I really enjoyed wow, it. Wow, that's uh, high praise. That's going cool. again. We're, we're start, starting to do it again, <laughs> enjoying it. I just gave it to my brother. Uh-huh. It's like 45 hours of listening. I think he finished it in a week. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's oh, a good one. Yeah, it sounds good. Maybe we'll hit that one someday. <laughs> yep, maybe. I don't want to spoil it though for all the others who haven't. Uh, there's 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 such a wide Cosmere like it's like trying to, it's like trying to 
talk about one Star Wars movie without referencing any of the others, which <laughs> 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 just would be really hard to do. Yeah, but well, uh, that sounds good. Great book. Sounds awesome. All right, well, we will see you next time, then. Yeah, thanks for listening in. Be sure to subscribe and you know pass it on to your friends if you're enjoying. Uh, the more, the more, the merrier here in this. <laughs> and um, we do have a Patreon if you feel like contributing. If you've if you've got some value out of it, we'd uh, certainly appreciate your support. Thank you, and uh, catch Thank you next you. time. Take care.